Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self-mastery. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Matt. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Hey, man. I'm doing all right, Nick. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, I've We've talked for a little while about getting you on the show, but now you're finally here, dude. So how does it feel to be on the show? <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's good. I mean, like you said, we've been we've been talking for months uh, about this, and you know, I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you invited me on, and and happy to share any of my journey. And if it helps somebody else, great. And uh, if not, they can sit and point and laugh. You know, so that's the way I look at it. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of smart. I'm sure there are people that listen to some of the shit that I say where they're like, oh, that was intelligent. And there are probably other people that are like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? And that's fine. Hey, you can sit there, point, laugh. That's totally cool. Um, well, man, I, I want to give a little bit of context here because you and I have a little bit of an interesting story in the sense that we, um, I think I reached out to you about some conference like years ago, uh, just trying to sell. Honestly, you worked with a giant company. Can I name the name of the company? Are you cool with that? Yeah, that's fine with me. Yeah, totally good. So GE, uh, it was going after GE and trying to figure out a way into it. You and I connected, and I, I think we just started shooting the shit about something through LinkedIn. And I was like, this dude is cool. Like, there are certain people I meet that are like, fuck you, you're a sales guy. I'm like, but you don't know who I am. Like, I'm a pretty good guy. Like, we should be friends. Uh, but you and I started talking and shooting the shit. And, uh, and it was interesting a couple years later when you ended up leaving and moving on to the journey you're in now so that's the, i think really where our, our friendship started to really turn into a friendship talking through stuff and and kind of going through it so i'm jumping into your story now matt it's your turn so why don't you tell us what you do for a living and one thing that most people don't know about you that's kind of odd or a little weird well i i got all kinds of odd and weird stuff um so what i do for a living now so i've, I've got two businesses that i started uh, a couple months ago one is DXM, which is Design and Experiential Marketing Solutions. And that's just based off of what I did at GE for the last 23 years. So I was a product designer and then got into the trade show and event world and hosting those kind of things. And so now my goal with DXM is to help smaller businesses achieve their goals in uh, whether, whether it's a conference, whether it's marketing, digital marketing, whatever, just kind of be a resource for them to really grow that experience. Because for me, the experience is everything, right? The experience is everything from uh, how the phone is answered all the way to how you sell, what your storefront looks like, all that. Um, and then on the flip side, the other thing that I'm doing is my dad was a cabinet maker. He was a self-employed cabinet maker. And I grew up in a wood shop. I've always had a passion for furniture and making things out of wood and making things in general. And so I started Highland Timbers, uh, which kind of came about through COVID. Uh, at the beginning of COVID, uh, I've got two young children. I've got a, a ten, almost 10-year-old 10 and a seven-year-old. And, um, you know, I used to be on the road a lot and suddenly we all found ourselves in the house together. And uh, I came across this game called Crokinole. And I was like, yeah, that looks kind of interesting. It looks like a challenging thing to make, uh, but it also looked like a fun game to play. 
And so I made, I just went out to the wood shop one weekend and cobbled together this prototype of a crokinole board. And crokinole is a Canadian game. Uh, think of curling, but on a tabletop surface. So a 30 inch diameter circle, you got these little round pucks and you're flicking them into the hole and you're, uh, in order for your opponent to score their puck, they have to touch one of your pucks that's on the board and you go back and forth. And so I made this game and I'm like, man, this is really fun. And my family loved it. Uh, the rest of the rest of our, you know, bubble, our COVID bubble, they enjoyed it. And I started making these games and, uh, I was talking with my wife one day. I was like, you know, I, said, I think there's really something here. I was like, this game is a lot of fun. It just has an awareness problem. And I said, you know, what, what can I do to help raise that? So that's kind of one thing that's in my head. Uh, but then the other part of it was I got to make something, right? And, and I found that my joy comes in making things and being in the shop and kind of exploring that. And so as I started wrapping all of this into a bundle, I started thinking about, and this is really about family and this is about making those moments that matter, right? Because we're only going to go through this life one time and we only have a certain period of time in order to do that. And, you know, a lot of us are, are in these arenas that we're in these workplaces, we're in these situations, whatever they are. And, and we're not able to give our best selves. Right. And, I'm now looking at this. This is a way for me to create a situation that I can put out my best self for my family and what I want to do and where I want them to be and set an example, uh, really, you know, for what they can do as they grow in and, and become contributing members of society and, and adults. Right. So that's that's kind of how I look at that. Um, you know, along the way, I've picked up some other games that I've made, uh, horse racing games. So I got that out for Derby, and uh, and I've got some other games that are that are coming soon. Um, so things that you didn't know about me, or you might not know about me. Um, so there's a whole a whole long list, but I'll I'll just start since I gave you two businesses, I'll give you two. Uh, one, I am Santa Claus. <laughs> that you are. Yes, I I, uh, I I portray Santa Claus in the holiday season. I get a big kick out of that with the kids. Uh, so that's that's a lot of fun for me. And then the other thing, which I think back on now that I think probably spawned a little bit of uh, Highland Timbers, where I'm at now with with the with the woodworking and the game business is I was a billiard mechanic. And you're like, you're like, what's a billiard mechanic? <laughs> so. So I, uh, a very good friend of mine growing up, his family had a uh, pool table shop that made custom billiard tables and pool tables. And after I, uh, you know, learned a bunch of stuff from, from my dad and his cabinet shop, you know, as happens, uh, fathers and sons have a, have a falling out of sorts or whatever. They decided that they can't work together in whatever way. And, uh, you know, I took I took my tool bag and I went to my buddy and uh, he hired me or his dad hired me to uh, to work in a shop. And so I spent um, evenings, weekends and summers in my high school years and then on into college uh, building pool tables. And, uh, you know, really, you know, had a had a really good time doing that. Learned a lot, learned a lot about life, uh, you know, a couple of crazy guys that, that worked there. 
um, and just had a, just had a really good time. So those are those are probably the two uh, two things that are you know PG enough rated that I can I can put them on here and uh, and go from there. Oh yeah, well you uh, you have family that needs to listen to this, so I guess if there are things that your second family shouldn't know about, then maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> Uh, it's... clearly kidding everybody clearly kidding we joke we joke um man that's good stuff so yeah when you said a a pool table yeah basically what i heard was a pool doctor <laughs> i fix pool tables yeah no i fix i fix pool tables you know we would build and install pool tables and and uh you know it was really my first customer interaction right so when i was with my dad he was the one who did all the face-to-face -face interactions with the customer and, um, you know, suddenly here I am, you know, a team guy <clears throat> going out with another guy to install pool tables in somebody's home. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a, you know, the guy's name was Bob that I was mostly out there with, right? Bob usually handled most of the customer interaction, but there were a lot of times where I had to, right? Or Bob would, you know, have to go, uh, you know, engineer something out in the truck, right? And I'd have to go go talk with, with the customer and make sure that they, you know, did, one, didn't walk out to the truck, but two, uh, you know, make sure everything was all right, you know, and that they were, that they were being handled all right. And so that really kind of gave me a taste for, um, you know, client interaction, customer interaction. So, um, and so I think that, you know, that experience eventually kind of led me, you know, gave me some of these, these background pieces to, to where I am now today. So. Oh man, it makes total sense. And the fact that you were building this stuff with your dad, starting with that, and then going to another company that was still building things, it almost seems like it was sort of inevitable that you were going to get back to that. Like you were going to build things with your hands again. It, it, yeah, it really is. Because I mean, I think I even think about what I went to school for. Right, I went I went to school to be an industrial designer. Um, now, I found that kind of a roundabout way. Um, I actually started out as an architect and I went to the university of Cincinnati to start an architecture. Um, mostly cause I grew up in a, in a fairly remote, remote rural area of Ohio. Um, and you know, I was really one of the first ones in my family to go to college. So my parents had not been to college, their experience with college, college, college admissions, all of that was pretty limited. My, my older sister went, but she, uh, you know, she's still in education. I mean, she, she became a Dean and, and the whole bit, and she's uh, super smart and she really took the ball and ran with all of that on her own. Right. Um, I probably didn't run as far or as much with it as what I could. Right. So, um, yeah, you know, so, but, uh, but, you know, basically what it, what it came down to is my, my dad was a cabinet maker and my mom was an artist. I've had, my hands in both worlds. And my dad just looked at me and goes, you're a an architect. And I'm like, okay. You know, and, and, uh, you know, so that was really my goal. And then I, I looked at, okay, where's the furthest point from home that I can get and still be in-state tuition. And so that led me to Cincinnati and, and university of Cincinnati, which happens to have an excellent, uh, architecture program and, uh, and also a leading industrial design program. And so uh, once I was there for architecture, I realized pretty quickly that this was not where I was meant to be, but I was in the right building. I just was in the wrong room. And so I started hunting around, I found industrial design, 
And uh, I remember calling my calling my old man and telling him, and uh, so you're making a mistake. That's the biggest mistake of your life. No, 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 no. You know. And I said, well, I said maybe, but I said, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm paying for this, whether I'm paying for it now or I'm paying it for it in student loans afterwards. It's my choice, right? And I'm making I'm making this decision because I think it's the right one. And uh, I made the switch, and you know. I had a great, great career in that. And, you know, a couple of years after I'd been out and I paid all my student loans off and, you know, was, was living debt free. Uh, you know, I remember my dad coming back to me, he goes, you know, I remember telling you, you made a mistake. He goes, I, I, I was wrong. He goes, you, you, you did well. And so, you know, that, that meant a lot. Right. So, but, uh, that's a that's something I think we need to get into a bit without knowing who your dad is and the audience has no idea any more than what you've already said so uh, if that meant a lot to you I think for the most part we all kind of experience that like we no matter how we look at our parents or the respect level or lack of respect or whatever I think we all at one point in time wanted them to affirm us and to be proud of us and be happy. There are certain parents that are just awesome at that. And there's some that are too much where they're just too fucking much. But then there are others that don't say it enough and go, well, fucking, you know, I love you. It's like, no, you don't unless you actually say it and you do it. So in that moment, did you feel kind of a, yeah, fuck you, old man, I fucking told you. Or is it more of a, I'm glad? <laughs> uh, you know, there was probably a little bit of both. I mean, one, I mean, Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who doesn't like to be right? Right. I mean, we all like to be right. Um, but at the same point in time, it's, it's also humbling to, uh, to see someone you care about come back to you and admit that they, that they didn't know what was the best thing in that situation. And I think what's interesting is I, I remember, I remember talking with somebody one time, <clears throat> and they, and I'm going to try not to butcher this quote, but basically they said, parents can only see how far you can fly by how far their wings have taken them. And, you know, that kind of stuck with me. I was like, that's interesting, right? Is, is if their wings only took them to here, they, they can't see over that next horizon, Right. So as I sit here and think through parenting and, and raising adults, right? Cause I'm not, as my friend says, we're not raising children. If we were raising children, we'd be done already. We're raising adults. Um, as I think through that, it's really about giving our children the proper tools so that they can make those decisions and those, those great decisions that are right for them, that allow them to soar further than what we ever could on the wings we had right and so that's kind of how I, I try to think through these things as as parenting which by the way i mean nobody gives you a book i mean all the books out there are bullshit um we're all just making it up as we go along i mean i don't i don't care what anybody says <laughs> i think that's just life in general <laughs> well that's true too but but parenting especially i mean it's it's uh it's an interesting interesting road for sure so but, uh, yeah. 
I uh, I appreciate that. So I don't have kids, but I appreciate that perspective because there are certain times where I've had conversations with my own parents where I'm like, look, mom, sorry, I was an asshole. And here's why I was an asshole and how I've learned from that. There was also, uh, there was a moment when I was younger that my dad called different milestones and he straight up told me this is what's going to happen at these things. And each of those has fucking happened. I expect that at some point I'll have kids. Uh, I hope at some point I have kids and I hope that same thing happens. Cause I remember my dad telling me at 18, you're going to think I'm a fucking idiot and I have no idea about anything at 21. You're going to be like, old man's an idiot, but you might know a couple things. He's still an asshole though. Fuck that guy. And then 25, you're going to be like, Oh man, no, some things, man. Uh, but you know, I'm in, I'm invincible. I can do whatever the fuck I want. 30 is going to roll around. And you're going to be like, yo, dude, I am sorry. I don't know all the things. I could really use your help every fucking milestone. And I was like, yo, pop, here I am, you know? Um, and I, I think some of that comes from uh, uh, just saying, well, go out and do the things that you feel like you want to go do and go do that. Like, I, I know from my perspective that he didn't try to hold me to where he was because he was like, you can go do whatever the fuck you want. And it sounds like your dad realized after, like, hey, you can actually do that. So now with your kids and you've got young kids and understanding from that perspective that you're like, look, I've gotten as far as I've gotten and your journey's still going, but that you don't want to hold them back because one of your kids could be, I don't know, the next Michael Jordan or anything that you haven't gotten to that level. So how do you manage that with little kids and not, you know, like understanding their brains are still forming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly tough, right? I mean, we're, uh, my wife and I talk a lot about, about tools, right? Making sure that we give the kids the right tools so that they can succeed in what they're doing. Um, you know, something that, that came up this year, um, my daughter has dyslexia. My wife and I suspected it, but we weren't sure. Um, and, you know, we finally took her and got her tested. You know, COVID was, COVID was kind of a weird thing. Um, you know, they were, they were at home learning and uh, we actually had hired a, a retired teacher to come in and work with both of our kids uh, for that because both my wife and I were, you know, full-time employed at that time, right? And just, hanging at it and we had done the the first three months you know when COVID first hit uh before summer we did that swapping back and forth and we both looked at each other at the end of that and realized we're not teachers for a reason we're parents you know and uh and so we went out and found a, a friend of ours who who uh knew some retired teachers and he recommended one and she came in and she was great and she's been like a part of the family and um but anyhow, once we once the kids got back into school, um, my daughter, who's seven now, uh, who was six at the time, she started hating school, and you know, just was really upset about it every day, and and not being able to read and not being able to understand as much as what was going on. So we took her and got her tested, and uh, and sure enough, she you know she came up being dyslexic or having dyslexia, and. Um, you know, I remember talking with the with the the gentleman about it, and there were several things I learned. Uh, one was that like one in five people exhibits some level of dyslexia. So that's twenty percent of the population, you know, is somewhere on the sliding scale. And uh, and then the other thing, he's like, well, he goes on that sliding scale, you know, there are some people who 
the road's there. It just has some big potholes. There's some other people that, you know, the road is there, but it's a gravel road. And some people, it's a, it's a wild trail going through the woods. He goes, now, here's the good and the bad. He goes, your daughter's road isn't even, hasn't even been carved out of the woods yet. He goes, and that sounds overwhelming, but she hasn't learned any of the bad habits yet that so many people with dyslexia pick up to try to get through some of these other things. He goes, so she's starting with a blank slate of really learning and learning how best learn to best ways to learn for her with dyslexia. And, um, and so my wife and I talk and there just so happens to be a school that specializes in, uh, you know, educating for folks with dyslexia and other learning, learning, uh, specialties right at the end of our street. I mean, I can walk my daughter to school. I can go pick her up. And honestly, Honestly, we didn't even know it was there. I mean, we knew the school was there, but we didn't know what really anything about it, right? We just knew it was a private school. And uh, and so, you know, after very little deliberation, we both were just like, "Yep, she's gonna she's gonna go to go to DePaul." And so we we pulled her out of the public school and moved her right over there. And and uh, and it's been great. It's been a great experience for her. Um, you know, they do a lot of things that I think would benefit all education personally. Um, you know, and, and I've, I've kind of, this, you're, you're catching me on my, my latest soapbox. So, you know, if, if you don't like it, you can shut me down. Um, but you know, one of the, one of the things that I've, I've been really questioning is the industrialized education process. Right. And it and it really is geared towards, um, I don't want to say keeping everybody at, at one level, but it's unless you're on the extremes, you're not really getting any extra help on anything. Right. And so she was just kind of wallowing there, you know, and it really made us think about some different things. And then with her new school, they also do compassion projects and, and uh, you know, some other things. And, you know, my wife and I go, you know, went to their compassion uh, program, which happened to be right around Christmas time. And I was like, man, that's really amazing, you know. And each grade took something on. Hers was her class uh, took on sea turtles, right? So they adopted sea turtles and they raised, they made ornaments and raised money uh, to be able to to adopt sea turtles. And I, I was just like, man, that's pretty awesome. Um, you know, I'm also I'm here in Kentucky, so I don't know if you remember last October when the tornadoes came through. Uh, down in Western Kentucky, but the the seventh graders, um, you know, they pivoted. Man, I hate that word. Uh, they, they, you know, but they they had something else in mind, and that happened. And they were like, you know what? We need to raise money for for the tornado victims, right? And so they changed they changed their their whole program to do that. And then the student council did that, and. I, I just I just kind of looked at that whole program. And I was like, man, that's that's pretty amazing, right? What they what they're doing there, and I think it's a, a great a great education. Each individual student gets a personalized education plan, and uh, you know, it's a lot smaller classes. And I mean, I honestly, I'd love to see I'd love to see that kind of model, uh, you know, be a lot broader. Uh, but I'd also, hell, I'd love to see teachers get paid what they're worth because they're probably one of the 
if not the most undervalued uh, workforce people out there, they're certainly uh, in in the top ranks of it. I mean, so I think, you know, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at, you know. So yeah, the education system is uh, it's an interesting topic to get into because I think as uh, with COVID, that kind of started a little bit of an awakening for people with kids, without kids, just having conversations with themselves or people that are fucking stuck in their house with them. Like, I have to look at you constantly now. Um, and they have to look at themselves and have those conversations. And there's been a lot of conversations I've had kind of off air, uh, you know, shooting the shit with bourbon and talking about things and getting in where people have kids and all. So I'm glad that we're talking about this now because I think the educational system in certain ways didn't really do us any good. It basically creates factory workers and says, well, you do these things because that's how you fucking do these things and that's it. And I remember being a kid that would always ask why, and they'd be like, because you need to shut your mouth, that's why. I'd be like, well, that doesn't fucking make any sense. Um, and that whole Prussian system, I agree with you, needs to go away. We need to do something different with it. I'm hoping that there's some of that that's coming out of what has happened over the past year, two years. So even over the next 5, 10, 15 years, we should hopefully see something. But what do you think it would take to actually have change happen? Well, I mean, it, that's a great question. What do I think it would take to make change in the education system? Um, I, I do think that if there's, if there's one benefit to what happened with COVID is I think a lot of people – uh, became aware of aware of this, right? And I mean that you look at that just in the workforce, right? Look at all of, um, and I don't want to use the word turmoil, but the uh, upheaval, right, of people leaving jobs, you know, myself included, um, uh, other other folks who you know didn't get choices to leave a job, um, you know, the workforce uh, being servers and things like that, where they they're not getting paid what they're worth to do what they're doing. Um, you know, you look at all that and it's like, okay, well, oh, that industrial education process, that just geared people up towards the industrialized employment process later, <laughs> right? And so, so now I'm, I'm thinking it's interesting, right? Because a lot of people I think woke up during uh, COVID and, you know, I mean, there's been a huge surge in entrepreneurs and and new business startups and i'll be interested to see you know how that really translate and translates in the education process as well right if there if there's that ability to change and shift um you know another thing that i think is is horribly missing and is the um you know the the trade programs in school, right? Where when I grew up in high school, there were trade programs. And now there was a stigma against kind of those kids that got on the bus and went to the trade programs. I, looking back now, I mean, there should be no stigma on those kids ever, right? I mean, those are, those are the people that are out there building houses, um, putting electric in, plumbing, taking care of your sewers. I mean, all of those things that happen within those trade schools, taking care of your cars, right? All of that, those are the things that keep society rolling. And, you know, not every kid is, is going to be college material and that's fine. Right. I mean, my wife and I talk about all the time. I mean, 
we're okay if one of our kids decides not to go to college. I hope that they do because I think it's a wonderful experience. But if they decide to go do something else, I just hope that we give them the tools that they need to be successful at whatever that is, right? Um, so, it, you know, what, what is it going to take for that education system to change? I, I, I really don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's all this stuff that's like just now sitting in my head, but I, I do sit there and think that it's, that it's broken and it needs fixing, you know, and I think about what it costs to go to college now these days. I mean, I remember writing, you know, I'm a little older, but I remember writing my first check for the first semester or first quarter of college. And it was like $732 for a quarter. And that was, you know, that was 19 credit hours. By the time I graduated, it was a whole lot more than that. Um, and now, uh, you know, about nine years ago, uh, a bunch of my college buddies, we all got together. The last one of us turned 40 and we got together in Cincinnati and went to a, uh, a Reds game and, uh, you know, got together and we went and hit all of our old bars that we used to go drinking at. And uh, we were walking around campus, which uh, University of Cincinnati campus is just blown up. I mean, the, the difference between what it is now versus what it was when we went to school there, it's, it's unrecognizable. And we were like, huh, for shits and giggles, I wonder what, you know, cost of education is now. And we looked it up and it was like $45,000 a year. And we're like, oh, well, surely that's out-of-state tuition, you know. And then we were like looking at it like, oh, no, that's, that's in-state. I was like, how does, how does anybody afford, you know, to go to school? I mean, I, I went to school. I started, <laughs> it took me a little while longer to get through school, too. But, um you know, I started out in architecture, which was a six-year program. Um, I then, you know, halfway through the year, moved over to industrial design, which was a five-year program. I still graduated in six years, you know, so I took that first year and kind of did whatever I want. But, um, you know, industrial design, I made it through in five years. But, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, six years. You know, if, if you were six years now at 45000 a year, you know, that's over $240,000. How is that even sustainable uh, for you to make the kind of money to be able to pay that back, right? Which then leads right back into that industrialized employment situation where you're, you know, I, I remember when I started at GE and there were all these old codger guys, uh, you know, that had been around the block. They were all old industrial designers and they were all getting ready to retire. And they all kept talking about, you know, the golden handcuffs and all this. And I'm like, what are the golden handcuffs? I didn't really understand the golden handcuffs. And it's like, they're like, well, once you're in long enough, you understand that, you know, you're just part of the grind and, and but they got you, you know, if you leave, you lose all these things. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me, you know, cause I was like, in my head, when I started, I was like, I was only gonna be there, you know, a year or two and then I was gonna move on. Um, you know, of course, then it took 23 years for that to happen. But, um, but you know, it's 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 interesting when you think through that, right? It's like we're creating these automatons, right, in school and in employment and all of that. And it's like I think now, you know, with this surge of entrepreneurs uh, and the, the ability that you have as an individual to go out and start something and be passionate about it 
you know, and that's starting at a younger and younger age. I think there's more ability for those kind of things to happen. And I'd like to see more of that focus uh, happening in, in the school, in the education system, too. So, yeah, I uh, it's interesting with the entrepreneurs that have come out of all COVID, because I think there's a there's probably some people that are like, I fucking hate my job. I don't want to be here. I'm going to go do this thing. And a lot of those people are almost like the gym people that go to the gym in January. They're like, man, I swear I'm not going to be fat no more. And they get in there and they're in the gym for like a day or a couple days. I think there's still the character type that need to be able to take shit and you need to be able to deal with stuff uh, that some people can't. And I, I bring that up because I think there's a certain level of running from problems that people just always do. And the educational system doesn't really help us with that. The educational system has also produced the people that are educators. They were in the same system. So to be able to step outside of that takes us actually stepping outside of that and continuing education. Um, and with all of the education that, or the, all the information that's out there in the world, there's a lot. And there's a lot that can be too much for people. And I think some people get hooked on to what is like the easy thing because they're looking for that dopamine hit. Like, oh, well, COVID's here. I have to stay home. I fucking hate my job. Uh, I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to go sell these things or I'm going to do whatever. I hope that that was the thing that helped people get through. But I feel like for the most part, there are people that were just running from their problems with that. I'll bring that up because you left GE. You were there for a long time, but you left in in the middle of the pandemic and you now have two businesses that you've started, but I know you're not one of those people. So talk to us about that process that you went through and the mindset that you had going, well, fuck, I got a wife and kids and well, I got to do these things. Yeah. So, I mean, there were, there were a lot of things that kind of, kind of led to it. Um, one, I traveled a lot, uh, for, for my job. Uh, I mean, as you know, we spoke <laughs> at the beginning, you know, we met through a, through a convention, right? And that's what I did. I was out on hitting the trade shows and doing um, events and all of that. So I was on the road anywhere between 30 and 40%, sometimes more of the year. Um, and as my kids got older, I was a lot more unhappy with all of that. Uh, but I didn't really realize that. And there were some other things that it happened within the work environment as well. But uh, I don't really need to go into that. I mean, it's all... Everybody's got work issues, right? Um, and and so I just kind of looked at it. I remember sitting, you know, having dinner with the with the family because all of a sudden, you know, during COVID, we're all home. We're all home all the time. We're having dinner together every night. And I looked around. I'm like, man, I actually like these uh, these little kidlets that I that I helped make. You know, like this is this is fun. Like um, I want to, you know, I want to figure something out to be able to spend more time with them. And um, you know, I think. One of the other things that came out of all of this is every year, you know, I talk with I talk with my dad. I mean, I talk with him a lot more often than every year, but every year he'd be like, man, I can't believe you made it another year. Right. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes. So before he was a home builder and got into cabinet making, he had been a, a Sears salesperson. And, you know, back then that was a good, you know, good job. Right. And he just was like, you know what, after he was there for years, he realized that's just not the thing for you. And I remember him telling me, he goes, he goes, Matt, he goes, we're not, we're not employees. You know, we're, we're owners. We're, we're different kind of people. 
you know, we do things the we do things differently. We do things you know the way we want to do them or the way we expect it to be done. And and I kept telling him like, well, I said, Dad, I said the reason why I've been able to do the things and been happy is I was able to run my shop the way I felt it needed to be run for a long time. And when that all kind of shifted and changed, you know, I tried to mold into the into the new system, and then I just realized like this is just not working. You know, it's just not, it's not a good, not a good fit. And, uh, you know, and so I, I made, made the decision that it was, it was time to part ways and, and try something else. And I took, I took time off. You know, one of the things I spoke with a lot of, a lot of friends, um, some of them retired, some of them, uh, you know, varying ages. And they all said, Hey, take some time, you know, figure out what you're going to do. And, uh, yeah, so I took time off and i I worked on our house, you know, I've, I've always been handy and, you know, did, did a bunch of remodeling on our house and, uh, redid my son's room and really allowed me to clear my head. And and it got me back to thinking like, man, I really enjoy doing things with my hands. And, uh, but then I also feel like I've got all this other stuff going on in my head too, like, you know, the design and the marketing and all this experiential stuff. And, you know, it's like, how do I make sure I've blend all this stuff together to make something because I want to, I want to be able to be a force for good out in the world. Right. I want to be able to help people achieve their goals. And so that really is kind of where I started, um, you know, with the DXM solutions, you know, I had a buddy who had moved to a new company. He reached out to me and they had some new product introductions and he needed some help with that because they were a company of engineers and manufacturing with no design sense. Right. And so, He's like, hey, Matt, I need I need your help, right? And so I helped them out with with a project, and um, and that's kind of led to some other things. And then, you know, really I, I started looking at the games, and I'm like that's just fun, you know. I mean, like who doesn't like to play games, right? And so, how do I get that out there? And and so again, that's just in its infancy, and I'm just starting all that out. Um, I partnered up with a guy who's got an industrial shop, and he's helping me run the the parts, right? So there's I mean, a lot of seeing, I, I started doing some of the stuff by hand and there's a lot of CNC work by hand. It took, you know, hours, what I was doing in hours, his machine can do in minutes. And it just made it so much more efficient and effective, you know, for what we're doing. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the route I'm taking that. And then, you know, I'm also taking commission furniture pieces, right? And so I've got, uh, I've been lucky enough to get some connections up with people that needed needed pieces and wanted something that was not something that they could get at a big box store. And, you know, they really wanted a, a custom piece that was, that was special to them. And so, you know, that's kind of where I'm taking that and, uh, you know, helping, helping people improve their home, their home life. Right. And that way, one, one piece of furniture at a time. So, um, so that's, that's, that's kind of where, where it is. I mean, my goal is I want, I want to make sure that, that I'm helping people create moments that matter and that I'm giving them something that, you know, they're going to pass on to their family, right? I mean, I look at, I look at so many of these pieces that I'm making, it's like, hey, your, your kid, you know, to, to steal a line off of another buddy of mine, like your kids are going to fight over this piece, right? So what, what's it matter to you now if it's another, you know, 100 bucks or 1,000 bucks or whatever the case may be, right? Your kids are going to remember this and they're going to want it, you know, at, at a later date. And so that's that's kind of how I I keep thinking through things, right? So... But, uh, you know, and it allows me to be home. That's cool. I keep hearing the word legacy. Legacy, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it allows you to be home and allows you to actually build that legacy and spend that time with your kids. Um, and honestly, man, it took you actually stepping out and saying, hold up, I don't know if this is right, and taking those steps. There, that's, that's a big thing that a lot of people will think about, but they won't ever actually act on it. So is there any sort of advice you'd give somebody that was going through that sort of space and time just to be able to get them over that hump? Yeah, well, it's you always have to be a certain amount of self-reflective, right? When you look, when you look at things and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I think about this with my kids and the farmer's market. So there's a farmer's market up the street, right? And I grew up one generation off the farm. So I knew where food came from and I wanted to make sure my kids knew where food came from. Right. And so we started going to the farmer's market and, you know, befriended a farmer and, uh, you know, we unfortunately never made it out to his farm before COVID hit and then he passed away. Um, but you know, kind of my intent was that we were going to get out there and kind of really see, see that. And I feel the same way about work, right? Uh, going into COVID, our kids, all they knew was that mommy and daddy left the house in the morning. Mommy owned her own business, but they didn't really understand what that was. And daddy went to an office and would fly away on an airplane and come back. And what kind of legacy is that leaving them about work and work ethic, right? And so it really you know, started making me think about what all of that is and knowing that my wife who started her law practice uh, 10 years, almost 11 years ago, um, how happy she is and about what she's able to do and build with that. And I was sitting there going, man, I'm a grumpy old shit right now. Like I want to make sure that I'm setting that same kind of example for our kids. Right. So I want to make sure I'm producing something that they can see that work ethic and that uh, passion and know that they can do those things too. Right. Cause we were always telling our kids, you can do hard things. And that's the one thing I'd say to anybody, we can do hard things. We're only going around on this world, you know, one, one life, that's it. And so we need to be able to do the things that we need to do uh, to get through it. But we can do hard things and, uh, you know, come out the other side. So that's 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 my that's my little bit of advice. I, I appreciate that. And I think you've listened to the show too much because, you know, that at the end of this, I'm going to ask you, what's that one piece of advice you'd give somebody on your path to self-mastery? And you gave it before I asked the question. So thank you. All right. Well, then the other bit, the other bit of advice I'll give you is you drink your bourbon neat. Drink your bourbon neat. <laughs> um, that, that's a solid piece of advice. Man, that is good stuff. Well, dude, I appreciate you being on the show. It's always good to talk to you. And I, I'm glad that we're able to actually record this thing. Um, where can people connect with you? Where can they find the games? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram. So you can find me there at Highland Timbers. Uh, search that. And then you can also find me under Matt Jones Z with a Z at the end. Uh, that will also link up to my Instagram page. I've also got a Facebook page for, uh, Highland Timbers LLC and, uh, and that's it, you know, come, come find me there. If you're interested in the game, DM me, I'd, I'd love to, uh, love to get some of that out and share, share those moments that matter with the rest of the world. So that's awesome, man. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Nick. You take it easy.
Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. So, what did you think of the show today? I'd love to hear your thoughts and check out the Instagram or Facebook page to join the conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us be found and helps others be healed. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think, or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends. Check out the show notes for more info from today's episode and check out other episodes on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look up The Mindset and Self Mastery Show. Thanks again to our incredible guests for being real, honest, and vulnerable with us today. And I'd like to thank our sponsors, The Manly Club and The Powerhouse Men Brotherhood. Men, do you consider yourself to be a powerhouse man? The criteria for becoming one is simple. Live with virtue and do good work. You see, a powerhouse man builds his life. He doesn't settle for it. He attacks mediocrity at the root, and that's exactly what we do in the Powerhouse Men Brotherhood. Visit powerhousemen.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-H-O-U-S-E men.com. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you Thank you for hanging out with us today. Your support means the world to us. And with that, remember, your mindset matters, and so do you.